0: I'm Faye Carruthers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Shock at Spurs as Tottenham take the honours in the North London Derby for the first time ever. Let's give some love to Liverpool as they get their first WSL win over Manchester United. And Chelsea are the star on top of the Christmas tree for the winter break, while Bristol City are the pine needles dropping to the bottom of the floor. Sorry, Robins fans. We'll round up all the latest news from the week, plus take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and official mobile phone of Arsenal Football Club, Liverpool Football Club and the England teams. Google Pixel is helping fans get closer to the game they love with access to fresh content and never-before-seen footage of their favourite players and teams. The new Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are Fast and secure with the most advanced pixel cameras yet. And Google AI powers amazing features for photos and video so you can get even closer to the game. Search Google Store to find out more. Sophie Downey, our Honorary Susie Rack Stand-In at the moment. Big love to Susie. Really hope you get well soon. We know you're here in spirit, but welcome back, Soph. Thank you. It's the same hat as last week. I, I wanted an alternative, but I'm loving the slanket. Is that what they call it? It's, what have you
1: got on? It looks very warm and snug. It's called a huggle, and I definitely need it. I'm on the south coast at the moment. and It's a bit chilly, so keeping nice and warm with all of my headwear and 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 cuddly blankets and stuff so yeah
0: a huggle right okay that goes on my christmas list a few days before christmas to upset all my family anita asante i'm sorry about that intro i thought it was funny at the time but maybe it wasn't because you're on the pod today but it's lovely <laughs> as always you to see to me, yes i know <laughs> what, 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 would you like a huggle Okay, (laughs) I will get you one. Brilliant to see you on our screens over the weekend, as always. Chris Sleg, you must be very happy. The North London white side is cheering for a change.
2: Yes, indeed. I genuinely couldn't believe it. I prepared my kids to expect like a four or five nil defeat because there's been some, you know, obviously one-sided North London derbies since Tottenham came up to the... uh, WSL, And to have got anything out of that game would have been amazing, but to see them get a win, wow. And it's another result that just bodes really well, I think, for the development of the WSL.
0: Yeah, I agree. I do feel like you're trolling... The Arsenal fans a little bit wearing your red Gilet today. That's very, that's very bold. (laughs) That's where we're going to start, as if you'd be surprised about that. One of the shocks of the season so far, as Tottenham beat their North London rivals Arsenal for the first time in their history. Uh, That superb 58th minute team goal was slotted home by Martha Thomas, and that was the only thing that separated the two sides, enough to secure a famous win for Spurs. And it means that Jonas Eideval's side are now third in the table, three points behind Chelsea and also behind second place Manchester City on goal difference. We'll talk about those games in a moment. But what happened to Arsenal, Sophie? All the kind of plaudits we gave them last week after what they did against Chelsea kind of feels like it counts for nothing now.
1: Yeah, they were just really wasteful, I think, and inefficient. They were dominant in terms of the attacking statistics that they had. They had an XG of like 2.5, I think. They created about 31 chances but didn't get many on target in, in terms of that. And they were really kind of wasteful in, in terms of those attacking areas. A lot of the chances I don't think were particularly high potential or really dangerous. They were shooting kind of from outside the box or just inside the box. It was flying over the bar. I know Caitlin Ford hit the post at, at one point and Barbara Votikova got the, the player of the match award and I'm delighted for her. But I do think they were just really inefficient and that's not to take anything away from Tottenham Hotspur. They got their game plan really, really well perfectly I think they have learned in recent weeks how to become more compact in the style that Robert Villaham wants them to play so it doesn't mean that they completely give up on kind of that attacking football that really intense press and wanting to go forward but it's learning from that the loss to Manchester City where they let in seven goals and learn how to deal with that within games I think it gave them a bit of a kick And definitely they've, uh, since then, they've looked much more compact along. I know they lost to Manchester United, but there was improvements in that loss. And then they managed to get that, that goal against Arsenal. And what a goal it was. Yeah, it was an
0: absolute beaut, wasn't it? But you mentioned the stats there, 61% possession, which we know doesn't count for anything if you don't get the ball in the back of the net. 31 shots, as you said, versus Tottenham's five, by the way, they had eight of them on target. They had 13 corners where Spurs didn't have any. Like Sophie's alluded to, Anita, it feels like this performance actually has been coming from Spurs, but they've just needed to slot all of the pieces together. But they had conceded 11 goals and scored none in their previous two games against the two Manchester teams. So partly it feels like it came from nowhere at the same time.
3: Yeah, it does. But I think you could see that they have been steadily improving and finding an identity under Robert Villaham. And obviously, I think adding more attacking prowess to the side, you know, getting Beth England back in, getting Martha Thomas, who's in great form as well, has added to the confidence going forward, especially in their counter-attacking play. And I think, you you know, credit has to be given to Tottenham as well because they reduced Arsenal to taking long-range shots. They did, reduced them to wide areas and, and set pieces. You know, yes, they got a lot of corners, but if you're a team that's not expected to have a lot of the ball, those are the things you celebrate when you're reducing a team to having to try and create opportunities on you in that fashion. And they were, looked like a danger and a threat going forward. And I think he's been brave. You know, he played Angharad James as a right back. He wanted ball-possessing type players who were confident on the ball to play out of those situations that under pressure. And you could see that it worked for them and it, you know, and it was successful.
0: Yeah, also successful debut in terms of a WSL debut, of course, between the sticks for Barbara Votikova. Sophie mentioned her as well, Chris. Oh, by the way, that interview post-match where she said, hi, mum, in the middle of it. Love that. But it was a brilliant afternoon for her. What was your take on the game with your white tinted glasses
2: on? disbelief really yeah disbelief because we were under the cosh and like you mentioned coming in on the back of letting in 11 goals against the Manchester clubs coming up against another heavyweight the division and a, a team that we've never got anything off in the past really and um, to not only well I'd have been happy with a draw but to, to not only get a win but with that kind of goal that sort of team goal that Villaham said afterwards that's exactly the style of play that He's looking for, and you know, as we mentioned, Daniel Levy was there, Big Ange was there, and and that's a style of football they're trying to bring to the club as a whole now. And and you could cynically say maybe it's just a token gesture they wanted their faces to be seen, but it does feel like it is more of a, a one club ethos now at Tottenham, and I don't think that was the case in in the first season of the WSL. Maybe the first couple of seasons there is more promotion being given to the women's team quite rightly. I was actually a little bit disappointed there was only twenty thousand there because we've seen bigger crowds. Uh, for that, for the North London derby that's been held at Tottenham Hospital Stadium in the past. But yeah, coming back to the game, I mean, Arsenal, I don't know if complacency is the right word, but I don't know if there was a bit of mental fatigue there. I don't know if there was a bit of expectancy with that, with that much talent, that much attacking talent on the pitch, that number of chances being created that that one of them was just kind of bound to go in. And and obviously, there's just no room for margin for error in the WSL with just 12 teams here. That being purely neutral here, it's a real shame that that advantage they gained themselves in the title race by beating Chelsea and as a neutral we, we want to see a great title race we want to see those big clubs all in there right to the end it's kind of been sacrificed straight away in a game that you would very much have expected them to win on the back of that result and on the back of the results that Tottenham have been experiencing but yeah Votikova as well you mentioned there what a performance I mean Becky Spencer is kind of in the form of her life too she seems to get better by the season and it's really interesting to see how a lot of these clubs do rotate two quality goalkeepers, you know, it's a much more common thing to see in the women's game that the other goalkeepers will be given a chance. And she's really taken hers there. What a performance it was for her. Clean sheet against one of the best teams in the world. And uh, yeah, a day that every Tottenham fan will never forget. And I'll just say that as well. What's what's really important, I think, is I know people who took their kids for the very first time. And if you see your team trounced in your first ever football experience, it can really take a while to get the confidence to go back. So for those Tottenham fans who might have been introduced to women's football for the very first time to see a result like that in their first match, well, that's just really great for growing the fan base going forward.
0: Yeah, either a defeat or a goalless board draw, which is what happened to my best friend when he took his son to watch Luton. Nil-nil, and he's an Arsenal fan now, <laughs> which is very disappointing. <laughs> um, how much do you think, Sophie, Wednesday night's Conti Cup meeting might have helped Tottenham in terms of their preparation? Because that was a thrilling game, finished 3-3, but Arsenal won it 4-3 on penalties. Thomas was on the score sheet then as well and obviously got her winner in this one. Maybe they took a little bit of confidence into that match?
1: I think they probably did. You know, like, they kept pretty much the same team. I think he made one change from that game midweek, whereas Arsenal made about eight changes. So I don't know how much that disrupted maybe Arsenal's rhythm a bit. Um, I understand trying to rotate the squad and, you know, get players' minutes. But I guess when there's back-to-back games so close together, especially against the same opponent, I don't know how much that kind of disrupts the flow. I do think it gave him opportunity to try things as well. We saw Kit Graham in kind of that defensive midfield role, which I have never seen him play before Wednesday night. And I think that was really brave of him. You know, when that happens in a Continental Cup game, you're kind of a bit like, oh, he's just trying things out and, and seeing what can it But you never really expect it will transfer across to the major London derby in the WSL. And the fact that he did, and it really worked, he showed all of her kind of attributes in that area I think the fact that she's so technical on the ball she's really got great vision she's actually really quite good aerially as well which is a surprise because she's probably one of the shorter players on the pitch but I thought she was brilliant and at holding in that midfield area and absolutely key so I think they definitely learned a lot from that and they were very well prepared and quite drilled it gave Martha Thomas a, t- a chance to play in that number 10 role as well behind Bethany England she's really really good in in that area the link up play that she has and the kind of pressing play that she has. I think when Spurs bought her and we were like, it's just kind of a a fix for the Bethany England injury. It's what's going to happen when Bethany comes back. Well, I think you're seeing it now. She's going to be that number 10 and she does it really, really well.
0: Yeah, it's quite exciting for the season going forward, I think. Just to wrap things up, Anita, in terms of Arsenal, whereas Tottenham obviously took the positives from that game. Arsenal didn't learn lessons, having conceded three goals. Do you think Jonas Iderval maybe has some bigger things to worry about over the winter break or was it just a bad day at the office?
3: Well, I I do think it was a bad day at the office because, as you said, they dominated in a lot of areas in terms of statistics. But I think the biggest concern for them is when I watch them in terms of out of possession game is their pressing game. You know, they weren't as intense and doing it with as much intent as you would expect them to do when they have done that, you know, in the previous game against Chelsea and you saw the rewards of doing it together. Um, So that's something he's going to probably want to keep working on and driving forward. But I don't worry for them. I think, you know, hopefully, you know, Leah will be coming back at some point and in the season, you've got Beth Mead back and she's already in great form. It's one of those psychological things. Sometimes a good team needs to make sure that they are firing for the next few fixtures and and that they are more ruthless and more relentless
0: Absolutely very good point Um, listen another shock and history actually because it was another big result at Lee Valley Sports Village as Liverpool came from behind to beat Manchester United by two goals to one Ella Toon had given the hosts a three minute lead and should have been further ahead as well but Millie Turner's 32nd minute own goal was followed by Taylor Hines' winner midway through the second half, with United struggling to clear their lines from a set piece. It was the first time that Matt Beard's side have beaten United in the WSL, meaning they moved level on points with Mark Skinner's side, tucked just behind in fifth place on goal difference. Mark Skinner questioned his side's lack of desire after this one, Chris, and said they conceded ridiculously bad goals. How poor an afternoon was it for them in the grand scheme of things, or was that a bit of a harsh assessment?
2: Uh, yeah, really strong words from Mark Skinner. And you compare them to Jonas Eideville, who we've just been talking about, who kind of suggested, you know, that the performance was there. It, it was just one of those days, and, and maybe you think it was. But again, with this one, it, it really did look like they'd kind of gone on on their Christmas break a week early because that was a performance that is far below what we know that Manchester United can deliver. And yeah, on on the back of it, you can completely understand Mark Skinner's assessment of it because they really can't. I I mean, they are now already four points behind the Champions League position and seven points off the top of the table. And, you know, that's a long way back from there if you really want to be in a title race. So, I think like in every area of the pitch there were there were things just not working for Manchester United on the day, despite that perfect start. Another one of these results that again from a neutral perspective is just brilliant to see. History made, you know, a real rivalry now developing there, which is what we want to see. And if you have these derbies that are always one-sided and are always going to end in a win for for the kind of established elite, then that doesn't really help the the league grow. So for Liverpool to come from behind in that match and to you know, so many travelling fans there as well I know that was mentioned during the commentary on, on, on the game to see Liverpool taking fans in numbers now to away games is great to see but yeah for, for Manchester United well they've got a lot of work to do over the, the Christmas break it would seem
0: Yeah and I don't really think that comments like that from your manager are particularly helpful I, d- I don't know you're in the dugout a lot of the time Anita are they helpful comments or you know do they galvanise a side or do you sit there and go oh F off
3: yeah, I, I think it's if you know your manager, then it's something that you'd be accustomed to, I guess. It wouldn't be my style necessarily, but if he feels that that's the reaction that he needs to get, uh, you know, out of his players, then I understand it to some degree. But ultimately, he's in charge, and and when it doesn't go right, it falls on his his shoulders. So he's the one who has to fix it. <laughs> and I think watching the game, you know, credit has to go to Liverpool again. You know, they've got some really unreal results away from home which is not easy to do when you're talking about the top four or five teams in this division but it's the character that they showed and and I thought what Man United kind of lacked was they weren't relentless enough they're not ruthless enough for me to be a your team that's saying they're going to compete in Champions League you know Liverpool were turning over the ball in their defensive third in their box quite often in that first half and Man United had a real chance to try and capitalize on that and and they weren't able to they played an extremely high line as well liverpool and there was opportunities for man united to play quite direct and i thought they turned down forward passes too often and allowed liverpool to find a way back into the game but it's also a great sign of the league and how competitive it's getting you know all these clubs like liverpool have improved in terms of their facilities you know we know they're at melwood it's helping drive their recruitment strategies adding to the squads, giving them more depth and quality. And I think we're going to start to see more and more results like this. So that's a fantastic thing for the WSL. But for Man United, again, it shows that there's still that gap and it's kind of disappointing when you think about how well they did last season, you know, in the title race, essentially. And and now they just seem far off it.
0: Yeah, which brings up an interesting question, actually, that we've been sent because we need to give some real love to Liverpool because they grew into the game and they've actually grown into this season. I think they've been absolutely fantastic and maybe surprised a lot of us, Sophie. But we had a question from Robin. Thoughts on Liverpool joining the top four? Obviously not this season is what they say, but can you see Matt Beard pushing the club forward into that bracket soon or will they always just compete with Manchester United for fourth?
1: I... Wouldn't say no. I'm very wary at the moment of going like too fast, too soon with kind of these clubs who are building. I do think they all are developing huge qualities both on and off the pitch, both in terms of their fitness. You can see that's growing massively every season. Their um, ability within the professional setup as well. You know, Liverpool, I know they've been professional, but they did come up from the championship. It's a different game, pardon the pun, but also in terms of the tactical intelligence of these sides. You're, you're seeing across the league, and we'll come to the others later, I guess, but when you're looking at your Brightons, your Leicesters, and your Liverpools of the world, they are starting to play with a really tactical identity that we probably didn't see in, in recent years. And I think that journey is going to be rocky. You know, it's never, journey is never linear. It's never going to go in a straight line. There are going to be bumps in the road, and there are going to be times where it doesn't work, and their kind of bravery and courage is is kind of punished at times. But I think as long as they're showing progress, like two of the sides have this weekend in terms of Tottenham and Liverpool, that's a general direction of play. And come maybe the next two, three years, you're going to start to see them challenge the traditional top four more often. And you're going to have more surprises like this. And they won't become surprises anymore, I think. I think it will become a closer league because of that. So it's going to take time. And so I'm pretty wary to say it's going to happen overnight. But it's definitely the ambition of Matt Beard is to get them right up to the top of the table. And you can tell that when you talk to him.
0: Yeah, you can do. And of course, you know, people shouldn't forget. And maybe new viewers and listeners to the league won't realise that Liverpool are, are double winners Two seasons in a row of the of the WSL. By the way, we send our best wishes to Gemma Bonner as well. Really lengthy stoppage time break after a horror clash of heads for her. She suffered a deep cut in the collision, left the pitch with blood on her face. Um, She needed some stitches, as well, and is obviously now following WSL concussion protocols. So we send lots of love and best wishes to her. It's been such an inconsistent season for United so far, though, hasn't it? The fifth time this season they've dropped points. Two defeats, three. Draws in their opening 10 games. You can understand why Mark Skinner is frustrated. And by the way, they've got a trip to Chelsea to look forward to after the winter break. Have fun with that. Uh, speaking of, to Ashton Gate now, Chelsea took full advantage of Arsenal's slip up the day before, cruising to a 3 0 victory at Bristol City. A response was definitely needed from Emma Hayes' side after that 4-1 defeat by the Gunners and the underwhelming goalless draw with Hacken in the Champions League midweek. Lauren James silenced the haters in the best way possible by opening the scoring in the 17th minute with a trademark curling finish before Erin Cuthbert and Sam Kerr put the gloss on the result either side of half-time. It was pretty evenly matched in the opening stages, I thought Anita, with your Bristol City side holding their own, but a moment of class like that from James and then it's a an uphill battle?
3: Yeah, it was always going to be a, a difficult game for Bristol. But I think, you know, you can't match that kind of quality when you've got Lauren James, especially on the pitch, delivering stunners like she did. And as I've said before, when you've got a play like that on the pitch, sometimes you just got to stand up there and and applaud that kind of quality because we see her do it time and time out again. But, you know, this is a young Bristol City side that are, you know, are in a different sort of stage and in, in kind of building up where they want to be. And as Sophie mentioned earlier, that's going to be a much longer process. The club was very realistic about the ambitions of the team. It's a really young team as well. So this is a great season of, of learning and experiencing playing against the best for the development as well. And just to have top quality opposition like Chelsea in the West Country at Ashton Gate, where the building audiences, has been a really good experience for our, the players to sort of play in front of those crowds as well. And, you know, the thing I've really enjoyed in terms of Bristol's progression is that they are starting to build confidence, you know, in those counter-attacking moments to actually breach opposition as they did with Chelsea on at least two occasions. And I think that's really important for the the continued belief for the other games that they'll go into this season uh, where they're looking to pick up points from.
0: Quick one on uh, Bristol City, Chris, because Sam has asked, Bristol City have a favourable run of five league games after Christmas. They play Brighton twice, almost bookended. They have West Ham, Villa and Leicester in between. Do you think they can get some momentum and earn enough points from those games to stay
2: up? I, I'm not sure about momentum. I don't see them going on a run, but I do. I can see them staying up. I can. I can. I can see enough about them. It's not like the Bristol City we saw before they went down, where you know they were cut adrift in a couple of seasons. Really, in mean, a couple of times that they have ended up going down, where they've really been cut adrift. This time, they've got real substance there. Yeah, they've got a manager who knows what she wants to do. They've got players who understand it. I fear more for West Ham. I can see Bristol City getting points out of that run I don't see them going on a run necessarily but I, if I had to choose a team that's going to go down right now and obviously things can change so quickly if you get two or three wins on, on the bounce it can look so different but if I had to choose a team right now I fear for most it would be West Ham and not Bristol City.
0: Yeah we'll talk West Ham in a second The only downer of the afternoon, possibly for Chelsea, was that silly second yellow card for defender Neve Charles in the 96th minute. Erin Cuthbert said in her post-match interview, if you told me we'd be three points ahead at Christmas, I would have bit your hand off. So it's a great foundation for us to come back in January and kick on. And this was exactly the result they needed, really, Sophie.
1: Yeah, it was. It was kind of getting them back on track, I think, after a pretty tricky week in terms of results. I know Emma Hayes was very frustrated against BK Hacken, you know, they had all of the the kind of possession and the dominance but they they kind of they lacked the technical execution and she she ruled that kind of lack of technical execution and that came back on on sunday with their kind of the goals that you saw and the the fact that they could make it count when they needed to and when you have players as Anita said like with Lauren James and Aaron Cuthbert's quality on the pitch it's going to you do have a definite advantage um so going in top of the pile they not had that for a couple of seasons, I think. They've been chasing for the last couple of seasons. So it's a different position for them going into the winter break, but I'm sure it's one one they're going to relish. But I would also want to give kudos to Bristol as well. I thought they played really well. I was at the game and I think Laurence Smith was kind of, when I interviewed her afterwards, she was ruining the fact that, of their home form. And I was like, but you've played Chelsea, Manchester United and Arsenal at Ashton Gate and you've competed pretty well against all three of them. And I had to remind her that the bigger games, you know, coming up into the the new year, January, they play West Ham at home. and That's a big one for them. I think this is all really good in building their their experience levels for that kind of game where they have to come away with the three points.
0: Yeah, really big, isn't it? Debut between the sticks as well for Hannah Hampton. I feel like you're on goalkeeper watch today, Chris Sleg. Uh, We've waited a long time to see her in a Chelsea shirt. How do you think she got on?
2: I love being on goalkeeper watch. It's my favourite position. And uh, yeah, I mean, when Hannah Hampton made that move, I wasn't convinced. I'm still not entirely convinced it's the best thing for her career. But great to see her get a chance. Um, you know, Chelsea are in a kind of luxurious position where Emma Hayes said we were able to win and develop players all at all at once. You know, not many clubs have, have that chance, but they do. And it's good that Emma Hayes trusts her to to come in for a game like this. And yeah, she didn't have too much to do, but one really good save from from Fionn Morgan. She's a player that when I first saw her play, it was kind of the first time I could see a goalkeeper who had had the benefit, a generation of goalkeeper who had had the benefit of full-time goalkeeping coaching. Her and, and Sandy McKeever at the time, you're like, wow, she's not just a good shot stopper. She can comfortable, ball. She can claim crosses. She gets her positioning right. You know, all the generations of goalkeepers who have gone before who didn't have that, that luxury of actually being, you know, showing the ropes and having a full-time goalkeeping coach With them on on the training pitch, and you could see that in Hannah straight away. And I still think she's got a really bright future, despite the obvious difficulty she went through through last season. And I hope she gets more chances uh, at Chelsea. But obviously, it's going to be really difficult there to get game time.
0: Yeah, definitely. equally, it shows what strength and depth that Emma Hayes has got to work with because Japan forward Maika Hamano also got her first run out in a 20-minute cameo. It's going to be fascinating to see what she can bring to the squad. Emma Hayes, again, very much managing expectations. She's still only 19, and she's done that with so many players, hasn't she? Including Lauren James, and we should really touch on the comments that Emma made midweek about Lauren James, and the tackle that she made last weekend in the Arsenal game. This is what Emma Hayes said. Some of the derogatory and misleading conversations that are happening during commentary during the games on social media is something everybody should reflect on. We're talking about a young player here that's always working to learn in the background. I think it's fair to say if I'm in her position, I'd be thinking there's a racial profiling going on. Hayes also added that the language used to vilify her online was unacceptable. I think it's disgusting the amount of abuse she's received from the public, from the media, from the press. What do you make of those comments, Anita? I thought last week on the pod we were quite measured about Lauren James and said that her behaviour on the field had been petulant, which we've seen from her before and is something that she's going to learn from. What did you make of all the
3: furore outside well what i made from it was i don't know exactly the kind of comments that she might be receiving directly as well so i can't really comment on on her experience from that perspective but of course i think it's fair to criticize you know actions that we see on the pitch that we feel are not sportsmanlike or you know whatever but at the same time no player deserves to get abuse abuse has been part of football for a very very long time across the men and women's game when players show up on the pitch and they shouldn't really have to endure it regardless of what happens. And that's why referees are there to you know, dish out consequences, Um, hopefully, when they get it right. I do think we all have a responsibility when we make commentary about players individually or the game as a whole to make sure that, like as you said, that it's measured and that it's fair and that it's objective. Ultimately, that's what we're here to do. So, yeah, I think coming from Emma Hayes, for her to have that perspective shows that there probably is quite a significant issue pertaining to her play and particularly that she has felt has been um, a kind of unfair, uh, you know, towards Lauren James. And yeah, so I think from that perspective, all of us have to sort of be self-reflective about our language and, and what, we, what we're saying and, and, and who we're directing it at. And are we being consistent about that with all the players that we see on the pitch?
0: Yeah, and that, that's the key point, isn't it? The consistency of it, which, you know, we talk about in, in life all the time. Right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll round up the rest of the WSL action, dive into the Championship and FA Cup, and preview the latest round of Champions League fixtures. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Three more WSL fixtures for us to wrap up. Everton 1, Manchester City 4. City showing once again their title credentials, sweeping aside Everton at Walton Hall Park. Bunny Shaw scored a hat-trick and missed a penalty, while Jill Roard was also on the score sheet as Gareth Taylor's side moves second in the table, three points behind leaders Chelsea. The blue half of Manchester are really building up ahead of steam, Sophie, and Bunny Shaw has got her eye on That golden boot prize at the end of the season,
1: she has. She's really coming into form. I think it was a perfect hat trick, wasn't it? Left foot, right foot, header. Um, so yeah, I think she she struggled at the beginning of the season because she was injured. Um, she missed a couple of the first games because she was coming back from injury after the World Cup. But yeah, she's definitely um, really looking comfortable within that city setup at the moment. She was dropping deep to make herself like into the play, linking up the play really well, but then getting in, in, on the end. And I thought the Two first goals, especially, were such a good example of her technical abilities. I, I loved the lob, you know, the left foot lob that just bent around Courtney Brosnan. I thought that was a really good, really brave effort of hers. And then the role of the defender, I think it was Megan Finnegan before she drilled at home. And I just thought it showed like the different kind of technical attributes that she has. And she's kind of becoming this all round player. We knew it from last year, but she's now getting back to the heights of last year. And just on Manchester City, I think they've really taken advantage of this run of games that they've had. You know, they, they had those back-to-back losses to Arsenal and, and Brighton as well. And then they won the Manchester Derby. And since then they've had a real opportunity with teams that are generally seen as lower down the table from them. And so until February, I don't think they they face the top four opposition again. So they're really taking advantage of that. And where others are kind of faltering a little bit, maybe against them, they are just like gathering steam, gathering momentum. They've got real clear style of what Gareth Taylor wants to play and they seem to really have, be really, really confident. And so when you have Bunny Shaw, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp firing on all cylinders, they're going to be a tough team to handle for any, any opposition.
0: Yeah, they certainly are and Everton struggled to handle them. But there are some positives that that they can take from that second half performance at least. Not only Aurora Garley's uh, stunning first time strike, but they did improve after the break and, and showed a bit of belief as well, Chris.
2: Yeah, they did. And actually, they, I mean, that goal from Aurora Galli was stupendous. We've seen some great goals this weekend. Two of Bunny Shaw's goals, the Tottenham goal. All three of Chelsea's were quality. And, and this strike was excellent. I mean, Everton, that Villa result they got the other week was huge because actually they're one of the teams I feared for most. I think Sophie touched on something just now, the identity that we're seeing in teams now, the likes of Leicester and Brighton and even Bristol City that we've been talking about there. I think the two clubs that I don't quite see that in yet are West Ham who will come on to. And Everton, I don't know if the, the managers are just having a bit of trouble translating their ideas across to the players. Uh, Brian Sorensen always seems really downbeat when you see him in, in any press conference. He's, he doesn't sound very confident at all about the chance to invest in January. He was obviously hit really hard by the departure of Gabby George and having to replace her with another homegrown player. Nicolina Sorensen is going to retire as well. That's another attacking option that's that's gone. Megan Finnegan is still their top scorer, only with three goals, you know, centre back as top scorer. Obviously, this is a game you wouldn't expect them to get much out of. There was at least, at least that goal for the fans to see before the Christmas break. But I, I do—they're looking comfortable now. You look at the table; they're seventh. They've got eleven points. That's a six-point buffer. But I do just worry about them a bit still. And um, yeah, I think Brian Swanson's going to have to find a way to to get his ideas across to the team because that just doesn't seem to be there at the moment. They don't appear to me to have an identity.
1: I think we do have to realise how threadbare they have been. I mean, of all of the teams in in the league, they have really, really suffered with injury. You know, last weekend they had one one recognised defender. In the Conte Cup game, Tony Toggan's playing right wing back at times. You know, they are really having to try and fit the resources that they have around a team. And he's hopeful, like Lucy Hope and Elise Stenovic are coming back in the new year. They've been out long-term. And he said the other ones are kind of minor injuries. So while it's making it really difficult to put out a squad at the moment, in the new year, he's hopeful that that can turn around. And I would imagine that he'll use the loan system as well in that January window. He did it to a great effect last year with the likes of Aggie Beaver Jones and Jess Park for the whole season. I think they're going to have to utilise that again in January just to make sure they have the numbers coming through and more established players. And so maybe um, I think they've got Alyssa Ahern, From Manchester United but she's a very much a very young young player she's not really had a lot of experience at all so it's a good development opportunity for her but you need to kind of if you want to be challenging as a club you need to be kind of finding the players who have had that really good professional WSL experience to come in and kind of help you through the the second part of the season so I just thought it would be worth mentioning their injury crisis because it's been pretty terrible.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important to mention because you know you can very easily look at results and condemn aside without looking at the context, can't you? When you're looking at at tables and and results and things, um, Leicester one, West Ham one, late drama at the King Power where Onaka Hayashi struck in the eighth minute of stoppage time to end West Ham's five-game losing streak and lift them off the foot of the table just on goal difference for the winter break. Uh, Lena Peterman looks set to have secured Leicester's first WSL win since October with her 68th minute strike and Hammers defender Hawa Sissoka was sent off in the 95th minute after picking up two quick-fire yellows which uh, looked as if all three points were going to Leicester but it was Rianski side who had the last laugh, Hayashi bundled home across from 17-year-old Princess Adi Maloui in the dying moments. Uh, West Ham had missed so many golden opportunities in this game; they would have been absolutely kicking themselves already if they'd come away with nothing. Anita, but perhaps still frustrating for Rianne Skinner that they could only manage a point.
3: Yeah, I think in a game like that, that you know they would have identified that early on in the season as one of the games they would want to go after three points especially, you know, against a team like Leicester, but you have to say that Leicester are in really good form this season for what they're trying to to do under Willie Kirk. And they created a lot of chances, but, you know, again, weren't ruthless or clinical in those moments and had to find a way to dig deep and have the resilience to just find a way. And and that's what they did. It was a bundled goal, wasn't it? Really off the leather <laughs> regions, I think, into the goal. And so... But that's part of it. You've got to fight and you've got to dig deep and you've got to find a way and and they've done that. But I think it's going to be a long season for West Ham when I look at the way that they have been playing and and how limited they are at really creating good open play opportunities as well. But I I think I've been really impressed with Leicester this season. I think they've, they've looked like a team that want to play football, want to be a threat going forward. They take risks defensively and I think that might be the one area that they have to keep mindful of as they're progressing to not concede and ship goals like they did in this game. But yeah, I think it's going to be a tough season for West Ham.
0: Yeah, um, with that in mind, we're talking about Leicester and we were, we were waxing lyrical about them on last week's pod, but I just want to mention an email that we had from Jim. It is the season for bad Christmas cracker jokes. Who wants to pull one with me? Snap. <laughs> none of you held your hands out virtually unbelievable uh, here it goes why can't Lester work as dog walkers anyone
2: because they always let the lead slip
0: yes because they can't hold on to leads. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, right. Last but not least, Aston Villa put more distance between themselves and the relegation zone with a narrow 1-0 win over Brighton courtesy of Adriana Leon's second half strike. Another one for you. Anita, you're going to be pleased to see your former side's fortunes turning round after such a tricky start to the season. They were the better side in this one to be fair and uh, deserved the victory in the end.
3: Yeah, I think off the back of two losses, obviously to City and Everton, it was really important that they got the result. And I thought Carla was right, you know, in a post-game press conference to say that they dominated the game. I think they did in large parts and they looked a bit more like themselves in terms of playing through the thirds, getting opportunities in and around the box. But it just took a moment of quality, I think, from Adriana Leon to really unlock Brighton. And she showed you know, the kind of power and prowess that she has and the technical ability that she has, 1v1, to commit players. And and I think they need to utilise, obviously, those opportunities more. But we always said, you know, they had a, a tough run-up of games at the start of the season, meeting at the top three, four sides. And these games were the ones that they were really going to be judged on. And I think now you can see that, that shift for them and that momentum going into Christmas is really important for them as well.
0: Yeah, it really was. It, the result leaves Villa four points above the bottom two sides, West Ham and Bristol City. Also leapfrogging Brighton to move up to ninth in the table. OK, let's talk Champions League because Chelsea are back in action on Wednesday, making the trip out to Sweden to take on Hacken, who they played out a goalless draw with at Stamford Bridge last Thursday, Emma highs. Emma highs, Emma highs, Emma lows, Emma Hayes' <laughs> side were left incredibly frustrated last week, denied by the woodwork twice. Ultimately, though, lacking any real cutting edge, despite having seventy percent possession and twenty-two shots, what will they have learnt from that game, Sophie, to take to Sweden
1: tomorrow? Um, that they need to execute better. I think. Um, <laughs> well done. I think it will be a different and side that come out. They were pretty defensive last time and I think you saw a glimpse of them after the halftime break and they had a, a, a spell of maybe 10, 15 minutes where they did start to push a little bit up the pitch but then they very quickly reverted to kind of that low block and being careful and I, I think for them, they were just wanting to get that point away from home because they are sitting top of the of the table at the moment. That's a really good point for them. They didn't need to go out all sort of guns blazing and try and get that win. It was just about being sensible in that moment and I think... We'll probably see a bit more ambition for them on their home ground. It's going to be cold. I am heading out there. I'm a bit regretting my choices right now because last week it was minus six. So it's going to be a different kind of weather for Chelsea to deal with, a different pitch. It's um it's going to be Astro. So it's all 3G. It's not grass because of the time of year that they're playing. So it's going to be a whole different kind of circumstances that they're going to have to get used to. The crowds in Sweden as well, I know. They've got quite good support over there. So it's just going to be a lot of different like elements for them to adjust to. But you would say that you would see, especially after the win on Sunday, that Chelsea should come out on, on top. But you never know what can happen and in these Champions League games, especially just before the winter break. They always throw up a bit of a, a curveball at times.
0: Yeah, don't worry about the weather either. You've got your hats, you've got your huggles, uh, you are all good as Sophie said, Chelsea sits second in the group, two points behind hacken Paris FC beat Real Madrid 2-1 last week, so it's all to play for in Group D still. But Madrid uh, rock bottom as it stands. Here are the other fixtures on Wednesday and Thursday. In Group C on Wednesday, Ajax play Bayern Munich and Roma uh, face PSG. hacken Chelsea, Real Madrid Paris FC are the Group D fixtures. And on Thursday in Group A, Eintracht Frankfurt face Benfica, Barcelona Rosengard. And Group B is Bran Leon, Slavia Prague versus St. Poulton. Uh, Now in the Championship, it was back for one weekend only. And we have a new leader. I am loving the Championship this season, by the way. It is just brilliant. I would love to see two teams go up into the WSL. Birmingham City won yet again, this time a 3 0 victory over Sunderland, which means they surged to the top of the table. They're just above Charlton on goal difference because Charlton were held to a two-all draw at Sheffield United. So it's those two fighting it out on 23 points. Sunderland sit just behind on 22. While Crystal Palace are fourth after they were held to a one-all draw by Reading. Southampton are fifth. They were beaten 1-0 at Durham. They both sit on 21 points. So basically, two points separate the top five, which is absolutely phenomenal. I bloody love it. Down the bottom, it's as you were, mind you. Watford stayed bottom, but they did pick up a potentially precious point in a 3-all draw with London City Lionesses. Uh, Lewis's match at Blackburn was postponed because they had their FA Cup third round tie to play. More on that in a moment, but it means they're a point above Watford with a game in hand. Still four points from safety. Uh, don't forget the Championship returns on the 21st of January. Uh, just a couple of FA Cup ties to round up, which had been postponed. Boned. Lewis are out after they were beaten 3-0 at National League's Southern Premier side Ipswich Town. Wolves beat Hull City 4-1, while Luton, come on the town, 1-0 winners over Keensham Ladies. The draw for the fourth round took place last week. We've got three all-WSL ties. By the way, Nag, who sent a message on Twitter, I am very excited about Luton Town drawing Brighton and Hove Albion at home. That is a wonder. Uh, Some other key ones to pull out for you. Chelsea against West Ham. Bristol City, Liverpool, Aston Villa, Everton. What do we make of those, everybody? Some tasty ties in there, Chris, including Manchester United, Newcastle as well. I mean, things start to hot up now, don't they?
2: That's that's really tasty because obviously Newcastle, They've turned pro despite being down in in tier three. They're doing so well. They're top of the table. Uh, Becky Langley doing a great job there as manager uh, and away tie against Manchester United, who obviously got to the final for the very first time last year. So that's the one that really stands out. But Luton, I think I haven't quite checked all of this. I think they're probably the first team from tier five to get to round four in the WSL era and perhaps even longer than that. So I still need to check a few more things because obviously the pyramid has restructured itself so many times. But what a result for them. And I saw a lovely photo of them all holding up Tom Lockyer's shirt before kickoff because obviously that this Luton Town women's match taking place just 24 hours after what what everyone witnessed in the Premier League on Saturday, which, which the whole club is obviously still reeling from. So really tough for those players to go out and, and play such a momentous occasion. But what a result for the club. And yeah, a home toy against WSR position, Luton against Brighton.
0: Yeah, very much looking forward to it. That was a lovely touch as well. I've got some managerial news for you. It's been announced that Barcelona coach Jonathan Heraldez will leave the club at the end of the season. The 32-year-old became first team manager in July 2021. He's won the Champions League, two Spanish league titles, the Copa del Rey, two Spanish Super Cups as well during his spell in charge. So not too bad for a couple of years work, is it? He said of the decision, I informed the club I don't intend to renew my contract. I want to leave them enough time to sort things out and find the best possible future. An appointment caught your eye as well, Sophie. Eileen Gleeson has been appointed as Ireland's manager on a full-time basis. She had been an interim charge for the recent Women's Nations League campaign following the departure of Vera Powell after the World Cup. Uh, The Republic won all six Nations League games under her guidance.
1: A good appointment in your book? Surprising and unsurprising at the same time. I think we've all been made to look a little bit silly because she basically ruled herself out of the running for the job back in, you know, a month ago or something in the last Nations league game. She said that she'd never close a draw on, on being a manager of Ireland, but right now, probably not the time she was technical director. I don't know how that role now, or like head of women's football for the FAI. So I don't know how that role now is filled or whatever. She has immense experience in terms of her knowledge of the Irish team, of the Irish players coming through, of the domestic league over there, of the players playing abroad. So, I mean, she's definitely got the foundations there. I think why I'm surprised is that I was kind of expecting a sort of big hitter, maybe. Um, I think if you're an ambitious team like Arland are and you've been to your first World Cup and shown you can compete with the best, I would have thought they would have gone for, you know, a a person who's won at that kind of level, at the top level uh, a few times. So it's nothing against Eileen. I think she's still got to prove herself. You know, they were probably expected to win that League B group pretty easily, given their form recently. So it's going to be a big test when they come up against League A opposition uh, next year and see how she stands to that. But yeah, both surprising and unsurprising. Come on, Eileen.
0: She can do it. It was announced on Monday, by the way, that the Arnold-Clark Cup will not take place in 2024 because of a clash in the calendar with the inaugural UEFA Women's Nations League finals. The Lionesses have won the tournament in each of the two editions in 2022 and 2023. Uh, Nag asked, is the Arnold-Clark Cup not being on in 2024 a big issue, Anita?
3: I don't think so. I think the players will be thankful to have another break from more competitive games uh, in a friendly kind of competition where they can just really focus on club football and what they're doing there and obviously not for those GB players not going to the Olympics it might just be what they need and I think for players like yes they're coming back from injuries like it could have maybe been good for them to get some more minutes and stuff to play and get back into the international fold but Ultimately, I don't think it will hurt the players that have played a lot of international football personally. But of course, it's it's disappointing for those fans that have loved watching Millie Bright pick up the golden boot, for example, um, in, in those uh, competitions.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? The calendar has gone a little bit bonkers, I think it's fair to say. Listen, some news on Monday that came to us. An external investigation into the events leading up to the death of Maddie Cusack found no evidence of wrongdoing by Sheffield United. Police didn't treat her death as suspicious. The club say they'll consider how processes and policies may be improved, adding the club is always looking for ways to evolve and will reflect on the outcomes and recommendations arising from the investigation. Important to note as well that the investigation into head coach Jonathan Morgan was also concluded with no action taken there. Uh, Right, so into the winter break we go. The WSL returns on Saturday the 20th of January. That feels forever away, but we've got FA Cup fourth round action to look forward to uh, the week before, and it's been a whirlwind of a season so far. So what I want to know from each of you is your highlight of the season So far, or what surprised you most, or maybe what you're most looking forward to come January. You can take it wherever you want, but be quick fire, please. Kick us off, Sophie.
1: I'm going to go for the Shocks. So there's been a series of them. So Liverpool beating Arsenal on the opening day. This weekend's two shock victories. I always like a a surprise. and I'm always like secretly, you know, got a soft spot for the underdogs. So I'm going to go with those. And long may they continue. Anita?
3: Yeah, I'm going to go with the um, Arsenal beating Chelsea at home because it was a 4-1 thrashing. Didn't expect it. My predictions keep going wrong, so I'm going to go with that
0: one. That is because you are now an integral part of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly podcast and we only ever have (laughs) and deal with wrong predictions on this pod. Chris Legg?
2: Uh, I would have gone for shocks too, but to, to be different, I'm going to go with standard of goalkeeping to be on goalkeeping watch again. Um, you know, Mary Earps saving a penalty in a World Cup final. She could be FIFA best for the second time in her career. She's in the running to be BBC Sports Personality of the Year. You know, It's probably the most maligned sporting position in the history of sports, women's goalkeepers. And now we have a situation where Mary Earps is a household name. People want their daughters to be goalkeepers because there is now finally the support for them to actually learn how to be one which was never there in the past so I think it's great that we've reached that level of the game and we're also seeing this this new generation of really talented goalkeepers coming through as well so in the absence of being able to choose the shocks that we've seen which have been brilliant it's great to see the WSL at its very most competitive I will say that the improvement in goalkeeping led by the great Mary Earps but we're seeing that throughout the pyramid now as well
0: it's a wonderful answer. It was not quick fire, but I'll let you get away with it because you made so many salient <laughs> points. Um, we did have, uh, just finally, one question from Arteta's Army who has asked, ahead of the January transfer window, are there any players or moves you think we should keep an eye on? They are particularly interested in the situations regarding Mary Earps and Lauren Hemp.
1: Yeah, I, I think Mary Earps is the one to to watch. I think that could create a kind of domino effect in terms of goalkeepers moving around because obviously Man United will need need another one. Um, Ellie Roebuck is obviously not featuring for Manchester City at the moment so does that mean she's on the move um, and then you've obviously got someone like Hannah Hampton at Chelsea who they won't sell her but might go out on loan somewhere I imagine just to get more minutes because she's not I know she had a game on Sunday but she's not getting regular minutes and I think it will be needed for her her career to kind of, and also with her with England, to be playing regularly because you're seeing so many keepers come through now who are playing regularly, who are becoming of an England standard. So she needs to kind of get on the pitch and have that game time too. I think there are some interesting, probably there's Arsenal need a right back. So I've heard, you know, Emily Fox potentially from the US coming in for that one. But yeah, there's going to be a few movers and shakers around around the place to kind of um, fill the squad. And I know Bristol were kind of maybe looking to to get in on the loan system as well and, you know, bring in maybe some championship players or, or something to, to kind of bolster their their squad depth and, and kind of help them into that second half of the season.
0: Yeah, and of course, we will dissect all of the January transfer chats in the new year when we're back. Uh, right, panel, it's been a joy as always. Chris Legg, I hope your Christmas dinner arrives and you haven't missed the doorbell.
2: I hope I haven't missed the doorbell or I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Happy Christmas, everybody.
0: Happy Christmas, Chris Sleg. Anita, always a pleasure. I'm sorry about my terrible, terrible Christmas robins joke at the start of the pod. I hope you'll forgive me.
3: Oh, you're already forgiven, Faye. It's always a pleasure to be on here. So hope everyone has a great Christmas and yeah, see you in the new year.
0: Thank you, Anita. Very
3: much looking forward to it. So
0: have a fab time in Sweden. I'm off to put on my Christmas list the huggle
1: do is definitely a game changer for sure. And um, yeah, have a great Christmas break. I think we've all all learned it and Merry Christmas.
0: Absolutely. Uh, we are taking that festive break, but we will be back with you on the 9th of January, refreshed and ready to go for 2024. In the meantime, don't stop getting involved by either tweeting us your questions or sending us an email on women's at womensfootballweeklyattheguardian.com. Keep right across all the biggest news in the women's game as well by subscribing to the Guardian's Moving the Goalpost newsletter. Thank you for being such an awesome crew and getting involved in 2023. We're looking forward to seeing you all in the new year. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Salah Ahmad. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and official mobile phone of Arsenal Football Club, Liverpool Football Club and the England teams. Engineered by Google, the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are fast and secure with the most advanced pixel cameras yet. And Google AI powers amazing features for photos and video, so you can get even closer to the game. Search Google Store to find out more.
1: This is The
2: Guardian.